You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. Well, dear brothers and sisters, it's so good to be with you here today. And let me begin with a a little word of, of warning and encouragement. The encouragement is that we, many of us in this room, have been blessed over the years to have been raised in church and and hopefully inundated, saturated with the biblical text, with the stories from the Old Testament, with the stories of, of, of Abraham and Moses and then the New Testament, Jesus and the disciples. Wonderful, wonderful gift that God has given us. But let me also say this. Some of the most familiar stories in the Bible are the ones that we often understand the least. We assume that since it's familiar sounding, that we know what God's trying to say to us. So often that's when we're not listening is when we say, oh, I know that story. I, I, I've read that before. I am familiar. So today we're going to be looking at the very famous story of David and Goliath. But what I want to share with you today is, is that it is possible that many of us have, have missed one of the primary teachings of that passage. Again, because of familiarity. And so today what we're going to focus on is confidence in the Lord. That's the theme for today. Confidence in the Lord. And keep in mind that as we're going through this study on the life of David, we're trying to understand the heart of the king. Now, the king uh, is, is, is referring, of course, to David, but that's a lesser king. The main thing we're trying to do as we study the life of David is to understand the heart of God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And David serves as a conduit, a channel for us to understand the heart of God and for us what the heart of worship truly looks like. And so if you have your copy of scripture, let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17 and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 37. Now we're not going to actually get into uh, the whole chapter today. It's a very long chapter. I'm going to divide it up in two, but we're going to go through verse 37. But if you'll stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's word, what we're going to read here right now is we're going to hear kind of last few verses of our text for today. And I think that this really summarizes well where we're going with this passage. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him for you are but a youth and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Let's pray. God, I pray that before we go anywhere, I pray that your hand will be upon us and that you will be with us in all that we do. God, forgive us for those times when we have been confident in our own strength and ability. Help us, Lord, to be only and ultimately confident in you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's begin with this simple thought. You are not David. Now, this is important for you to understand. You are not 
David. Let me show you a coffee cup here. Uh, those of you who watched the video this week, you know I referred to this. I love this. This story uh, is familiar. And this picture, if you were raised in, in Sunday school, you've probably seen this picture before. There's Goliath. He is clearly uh, named there. He's the big guy. Imagine that. Goliath is the big guy. Okay. He's facing us. And then there's David, but it says right above that, not you. That's important for you to get. Because I think most of us, when we read this text, we assume that, that we are David. We, we, we'd like to slide ourselves into those sandals, as it were, and think of ourselves as David. David versus Goliath is kind of a, a common theme. Even if people don't read their Bibles much, they know that metaphor. They know what it means. Uh, many of you who are as old as me, at least, you remember the movie Hoosiers? You remember that movie? One of the best basketball movies I think ever made. Just a really neat story. Uh, but at the end of that movie, when they're playing, right before they play the big game, they bring in the preacher because you always bring in the preacher when things get desperate. And, and the chaplain prays and he, he mentions David and Goliath because it's a little country school going up against the big city school. And that's the metaphor. That's what people think of when they think of David and Goliath. But like so many biblical truths, we twist the text so that the application is man-centered instead of God-centered. When you put yourself in the role of David, you're making the text very much about you. And if you'll notice in this text, it is very much about God. We want to make much of God, not much of ourselves. And this passage, I think, can help us do that. As human beings, it's only natural that we want to be winners. But hear me, God is not looking for you to be a winner. He wants you to be a worshiper. I think that it is uh, obvious that many of us, we want to be the hero, but God is looking for the humble. These are simple truths that I think the modern church is often missing. So many times we take stories like this and passages like this and we make them all about human achievement, the ability for us to do amazing, great things for God. And I believe that we can do amazing, great things for God, but we do it in the power and strength of God. And that's David's secret. Spiritual battles, he understood this. I hope today when we finish this time together, we understand that spiritual battles are never won by human strength or cunning. Spiritual battles are only won when our confidence is in the Lord. That's why we have the title here today. Now, everyone in this text, as we, if we had time to really look at it and, and get beneath the, uh, the surface level here, we'll see that every single person, every single character in the text is operating in either one of two ways. They are operating under observable facts. In other words, they're taking stock of what they see with their eyes and what they can calculate with their minds, or they are operating under unswerving faith. Those are the two options in the story, and I think those are the two options in life. We are either the kind of people who are only going to operate by facts, or we're people who are operating by faith. But what I want to say today is, is that there is, is actually in this text a pretty clear synthesis of the two. There's a way to balance using our brains, and let me just say this, it would be great if Baptists would use their brains. I just think that would be a fantastic thing. We need to use our brains, but we need to use our brains powered by the faith of God. It's two things that need to work together. And David shows us how to do this. Those, now listen to this. This is one you might want to write down. I think this is powerful. Those who live by faith, they don't abandon facts, but they do abandon themselves to God. 
And so church, what I'm asking you to think about is what does it mean to fully surrender, to abandon your mind and your heart and your soul to God? You don't have to walk away from facts. I believe the Bible has plenty of facts that we can fill our hearts with, but please, by all means, abandon yourself to God. Surrender completely to him. We have too many people who are playing the game of faith, but they're not completely surrendered, abandoned unto God. And that's what makes David so great. You see, if we really want to make a difference for God, we can't just operate with facts. We have to go beyond that by faith. Only then can the obstacles we face be overcome. And I think David will show us that in 1 Samuel 17. Our first point, and you'll see what we do here as we go through the text, we're going to talk about facts and faith. And then I'm going to give you a synthesis of that in the third point, facts and faith. But let's, talk, let's start with fact. Fact one, the enemies of God are both real and powerful. Now, it is important for me to be realistic with you. And as I often do, I want us to think about what it means to face challenges and to deal with enemies. There are enemies of God at work in the world. Not too long ago, I was reminiscing, watching some old, old footage of, of Mike Tyson. He was, a, he was the premier fighter when I was a young man, and I've never been a boxer, but I can sure appreciate how bad that man was. You watch the video, and that guy was vicious. He could hit hard and quick. And recently, there have been videos on Facebook showing him kind of preparing for another, another uh, bout of some sort, I guess, and he still looks bad fast, quick. Now, Mike Tyson is a bad dude, but he's not a big dude, but he's a bad dude. And I would imagine that if we had to uh, fight him, if we knew that was coming tomorrow, we wouldn't sleep too good tonight. And when you're a person of average height and weight, you know, I'm the kind of guy that walks in the gym and nobody notices. I don't stand out. I don't walk in and everybody goes, wow, he really works out. They're like, wow, he's a preacher that doesn't eat so much fried chicken. That's, that's about all I can get out of people. So I'm not going to impress anybody with, with, you know, working out and with my, with my strength. But I'm going to tell you that there have been a few times in my life where I've, I've got side by side with like an NFL player or like an NBA player and, and somebody that was like 6'8", 6'9", and muscled up. And I'm going to tell you, I feel like a smurf. Does that communicate? I just feel small like in that, in that context. Now, a six foot eight, seven footer is a big dude, but this story tells us about a guy around nine foot plus tall, okay? So when we look at this passage, we cannot deny that there was an enemy here and he was big. And I think that, that scripture is telling us that there will be Goliaths, okay? We're not, gonna, we're not going to deny that. There are going to be powers in this world that are way beyond human strength. As I've shared with you, and it's so important for us to get here, and we need to think of this in two ways. The individuals in the world, we should never view souls as enemies, okay? From our perspective, we don't want to see a lost soul as an enemy because you don't share Jesus with enemies for the most part. We don't want to think of of those individuals as enemies, but I want you to realize this, from the other side, those individuals will view us as enemies. So, The secular world is powerful and they view us as enemies. Let me make it even more plain. The enemies that we face are not somewhere way away from us. They're usually right in our kitchen. Now, I don't mean that by your family, okay? 
But what I mean by that is, is close. Now in um, the chapter here in, in 1 Samuel 17, verses one through three, there are a lot of Hebrew uh, proper nouns here, place names that are very hard to pronounce. And here's something I've learned over the years. Where I grew up in Western Kentucky and Southern Illinois, my dialect does not match well with Hebrew. So if I were to try to pronounce them for you, it would just sound like somebody from the hills trying to say it, okay? But let me just break it down for you. All those place names locate us, if we were to to put it on a grid, 15 miles from Bethlehem. So here's what I'm saying. There are enemies of the world and they are not far away over there. They are present. They are real. They can do damage to you and those you love. That's what this text is telling us. This is not a battle far away. This is a battle in their backyard. And what's worse, the spirit of God has abandoned Saul. It's one thing to be in a fight. It's another thing to be in a fight without your real strength. To go into a a ball game without your star player, okay? To have a a big presentation at work and not have the guy who, who, who brings it home. That's what we're talking about here. We have an army that's supposed to be standing for God, but God doesn't seem to be present at all. We know that Saul, because of his sinful choices, is no longer empowered by the, the Spirit of God. And since he is no longer empowered by the Spirit of God, this is how leadership works. The leader, the king, is not filled with the Spirit. And so it should come as no surprise as, as to find out that the people do not have the Spirit of God. These are the people who claim to be the people of God, but They don't have the power of God. Let us pause parenthetically and say, the church in America today, we have numbers. We have hundreds of thousands of people who are on our rolls, who claim to be the people of God. But what we seem to be lacking is the power of God. Be careful, this story may be a little too close to home. And I'm not talking about 15 miles from Bethlehem. I'm talking about 15 inches from your heart. We've got a problem today. Because we claim to be the people of God, but we so rarely have the power of God. Let me tell you a fact about this passage, that until David comes on the scene, the name of the Lord is never mentioned. The name of God, Yahweh, does not occur in this text until David starts speaking about it. Now, listen to me. There's a problem. People who claim to be the people of God, who don't even talk about God, who do not even bring his name up, in the midst of a battle. We're talking about stress. We're talking about war. We're talking about a time when in the foxhole we would think that people are crying out for God. But no, there's not even a mention. They're trying to find a victory strategy apart from the Holy Spirit. Goliath is called a champion here. This is an exceedingly rare word in the Hebrew. It wasn't a concept the Hebrew people usually dwelt on. They didn't think about having like a star player in war. Their idea of war was all going in together, but the Philistines had what the Romans and, or the Greeks and the latter Romans had, which, which was these, this idea of the big guy who can come and win the battle for you. That's what's going on here in the text. So Goliath is shouting at the people. Notice in verses one through 11, he's described. Now here's what's crazy. I told you, you know, I'm a guy of average size. Well, here, here we have an example of that. So Goliath's armor weighs between 150 and 175 pounds. So I'm on the higher end of that number, but basically his armor weighed as much as me. 
This is a big guy. This is a big problem for God's people. We see that in verses five through seven. But here's the issue. Goliath is 100% confident in his own strength and that is 100% his weakness. He is a man who is putting all of his confidence in what he can do and he defies Israel, the people of God in verses eight through 10. But what he really is doing is he is defying God himself. Saul and his men, the Israelites, could not argue with the facts of Goliath's power. The Bible says there in verse 11 that they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Check check it out. They were impressed and they were depressed. And I think the church today, when we look out at, at, at the forces aligned against us, there are so many factors in our culture that seem to be anti-Christian more and more and more. And we're impressed by that in a negative way and that makes us depressed. And here's the reason why we feel like the church is losing ground in America because we've been putting too much faith in our strength. Yeah, you're not David, but you're acting a lot like Goliath. The church is acting a lot like Goliath putting its faith, in strength, its, its, its faith in the strength of the church and methodologies and in, in, in the way we, the manner in which we do ministry. Listen, all those things are important, but ultimately we are not going to make one single bit of difference for the world for God's sake until we trust completely in his power. Goliath was a big guy. The Philistines had all the military might And the truth of the matter is, this is really the story of God's people throughout the ages. In every age, we're always outnumbered. The true church is always outnumbered and overmatched. But listen to this. When it comes to spiritual warfare, what we can't see is what matters most. The power we have to overcome, you can't necessarily see it because it's hidden away in our hearts. But It's the power of faith. So let's talk about faith and what it means. And I'm not talking about professing faith, saying you believe, because that's not the same thing as living faith. Faith, professing faith is not the same as living faith. Today, when you you speak about faith to people in the community, most people are thinking of, of a testimony of faith. In other words, what they say about God. But here's the deal. There are many people on the rolls of this church and and that that claim to be Christian in America. And if you ask them, if you press them, they will say that they believe in Jesus. But there are far few that are living their faith. Faith is not a verbal process only. It's not just what you say. It is, in fact, what you say and do. And again, this is... I'm afraid illustrated too well here in this passage. Israel was supposed to be the people of God. If you would have asked them, are you the chosen nation? Yes. Is God on your side? Absolutely. Will you beat the Philistines today? No way, Jose, possible. In other words, they would say that they were people of faith. But when you said, will you apply the faith by going down into this valley and fighting Goliath, they were like, "Mm, not me. I'm I'm not able to win that battle. That shows a disconnect between testimony and ministry. 
This is not a new thing. It was going on back then. It's going on today. Let's look at David here. He enters the scene here in verses 12 through 30. And we see that he is at this time, probably the language here gives us indication that he was under 20, a young man under 20. That's the language that the Hebrew text uses here. Most likely under 20 years of age. He has three of his eldest brothers. They are on the front line. And like any dad would be, his dad was concerned about their well-being. So he sends David ostensibly to take some food to his sons and to the army, but really the purpose is to make sure that his boys are okay. So David shows up and as providence, as the sovereignty of God would have it, he comes up about the right time as Goliath is sitting there making fun of Israel, but more importantly and more devastatingly, he is making fun of God. David shows up and he hears this, verse 23b. David heard Goliath, the text says, and David is the first and only person who doesn't take it personal, but he takes it spiritually. He's not upset because of the slight against his people. He is upset because of the slight against his God. He is worked up here in the text we find because this uncircumcised Philistine is defying the living God, according to verse 26. Even David's own brother can't see the spiritual nature of this fight. No wonder Eliab is not chosen to be the king. Before David can even go fight the big man Goliath, he has to overcome the taunts of his brother. Words that strike down deep at David's heart. It's hard to go into a fight, into a battle, when your own brother doesn't seem to trust you. One of the biggest problems we have in the church today is we don't have brothers and sisters supporting one another in ministry. Many times when you say, I believe God's called me to do this, you'll have people like Saul who are trying to give you armor and give you advice that makes a lot of sense by the standards of the world. One of the reasons why very few of you feel called to ministry is because you're making your calculations based on worldly factors instead of deeply considering what the call of God is on your life. You will never follow the call of God on your life as long as you're counting things, as long as you're calculating in your mind and heart. You only do the big things for God when you trust him and you hear that still small voice and you obey. There were a lot of people that should have went down in that valley, but nobody's talking about God until David shows up. Even his brother doesn't get it. Now, let me tell you this, another point to write down. The enemy attacks our faith before he attacks our flesh. The enemy attacks our faith before he attacks our flesh. Here's here's the truth. David's greatest challenge in this story is not Goliath in my view. I think the biggest challenge he had to overcome was Eliab's lack of faith. It would have been so easy to hang it up right there. Well, if my big brother says I can't do it, then I can't do it. But David's like, who do you think you are? David's like, you're not God. I know what God has taught me. I believe in his power. So he gets over this bump by believing in God. You see the biggest battle, no one saw. I believe the biggest battle was right here. Without faith, Saul and Eliab and others can't see a pathway to victory. But with faith, David only sees victory. 
By faith, he sees victory. So it's God who makes all the difference. It's God who changes the equation. When David shows up, all of a sudden in the text, in the Hebrew text, you start seeing Yahweh, 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 Yahweh. Why? Because a man of God is on the scene. And where everybody was talking military strategy, here little David comes from the, sh- uh, the shepherds, uh, the fields uh, of sheep, and he comes and says, this battle is the Lord's. We don't need more clever folks. We need more Christ-centered folks. We need people who understand that, that there is power in faith. And that brings us to our last point, where we see the perfect synthesis between fact and faith. And how God's power flows through the one who trusts him. Verses 31 through 37. David was a man of faith, but he built his faith on facts. And what do I mean by that? Well, David was a courageous person, yes. I mean, anybody that'll go grab a bear or a lion by the beard and punch him in the face, okay? That's pretty awesome. But David says, even when I punched those wild animals in the face, I didn't do it because of bravado. I did it because I believed, I believe that God had called me to protect the sheep. And so he doesn't do it to be a hero. He protects his sheep because that's his calling. He knows he is called to protect the sheep and he knows that God will give him the strength that he needs to do his job. And so he punches a bear in the face because he believes that God is with him. Now, that was a formative experience. Anytime you wrestle with a bear in your early days, that's a formative experience. You know, go to college if you want to, but if you really want to learn something, wrestle a bear. There you go. That's the story, right? Not exactly. But David remembered what it was like to be empowered by God. And I wonder how many of us have ever had that kind of experience. Have you ever witnessed to somebody, and I hope you have, but have you ever witnessed to somebody and just felt completely outmatched? You felt like you didn't have the right words to say, and lo and behold, that person received Christ. Let me tell you, that's the Holy Spirit working through you. That's a Goliath going down because you were just faithful. You believed. I hope God will remind you of those kinds of moments because here's the reality. That's what empowers us in the moment and in the future. David was courageous, but his courage was based on the experiences of life. In verse 32, we see David uh, very wisely acknowledging that, that we have hearts that are going to fail. And, and when our hearts fail, our strength fails. That's what verse 32 is saying. I mean, having heart, having courage is an advantage. But when a man has a heart for God, that's when we have the potential for true victory. And that's what I want you to see today. We need victory. We need souls being saved. And it takes more than courage. It takes faith. And so David knows that God is living. Verse 36b, notice that there. He knows that God is alive and he knows that if God lives, he can live in that life. And he knows that if he looks back and remembers how God was with him when he fought the the bear and the lion, that God will help him win in the moment. So what does David do? He combines the facts, his historical experiences, his personal encounters with God, with faith, that if God was with him, God is with him now. He is able to trust in God's will. In the text here, verses 33 through 38, roughly, uh, we see, in verse 33 anyway, Saul's warning, and we see Saul's offer of the armor. Saul thinks that David can only be victorious if he has a man-made bit of help. But David understands that all that help just weighs him down. He needs a divine solution. 
I think the church today, we don't need to think about, oh, what's the latest method? What's the latest kind of music? What's the latest kind of preaching? No, what we need is a complete surrender to God where we abandon ourselves to him. That's what David did. You are not David. I am not David. But we must learn from his example. Let's be realistic, shall we? If we're going to reach Springfield in the name of Jesus, we are going to face some amazing, terrible challenges. The enemy is real. The enemy is destructive. And we are in danger. We cannot afford to take the enemy lightly. Goliath is real. There are terrible forces of evil in the world. We need to be realistic about that. But here's the next thing we need to remember that David teaches us. Our heritage of faith, it's an asset, no doubt, but only if we apply it today. So listen to this. The church needs people who do more than talk faith. The church needs people who live faith. Today in, in uh, Christian America and Baptist circles in particular, a lot of people talk about church roles and how they need to be purged. There's, I mean, our church has literally thousands and thousands and thousands of people on the roll that don't attend and don't serve. I think that illustrates the point. There are a lot of people in Springfield that say they follow Jesus, but there just isn't any visible evidence that that is true. Now, I'm not saying that to be mean, but there's a whole lot of people planning on going to heaven that aren't doing anything in this world that even remotely looks like a heaven-bound saint. And that ought to rock our world. We ought to not be mad about that, but we ought to weep about it because there are people who have put their faith in something other than the blood of Jesus. And only those who are blood-bought are going to be living and dying for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And finally, we need to look back and see what God has done. If you're here today and you have been saved by grace, you have a story of faith and you need to remember that if God has done it in your life before, he will do it again. Everything about this story is about one man who had confidence in the Lord. Look what a difference he made. We know, we'll find out when we hear the rest of the story that he beat the Philistine, but ultimately he communicated to everyone the power of just trusting in the Lord. I wonder how many of us in this room, we've had the right words, but our actions don't show confidence in the Lord. Many of our decisions if we really boil down to the essence of what led us in that direction, many of our decisions were based on worldly things, our calculations with this. How much of your life can be, and the actions therein and thereof, how many of those actions can be directly connected to just faith in God? If we can't think of too many elements of faith, that means that there's something that's not quite firing right. Our confidence is not in the Lord. We can change that when we stop trying to figure it all out with this and we start allowing what we know to be true about God from his word to change our hearts so that we will go out and fight the right fights and win those battles in the strength and power 
of the Lord. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.